Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. Leadership Lessons is a time learning from leaders who are making a difference. And our guest today is one of those leaders. Eric Allen is the team leader for KBC's Missions Mobilization Team. Eric does incredible work and the team that, that God has built around him is effectively helping Kentucky Baptist churches reach Kentucky and the world for, for Christ. And I can't wait to talk to Eric. I want to mention something to you. So coming up no, uh, September of 2022, so mark your calendar for September 15th, 2022, there will be a celebration of life gathering in Bowling Green at Hillview Heights Baptist Church. And this is in uh, cooperation with KBC's Friends of Life KY. And the effort is to talk about just what we're doing together to try and, and um, see legalized abortion abolished in Kentucky. That's coming up September 2000. There's a lot coming up between now and then, but get this on your calendar. Folks are interested right now in praying for this uh, Roe versus Wade to be overturned and for Kentucky to see a day when abortion, legalized abortion will be abolished in our state. Eric, thank you, brother, for joining on Leadership Lessons. Well, thank you, Dr. Gray, for inviting me. I am looking forward to, to just chatting with you about some things that we both care about. Eric, um, pe people ask me about my job, what I like about it, and one of, the, one of my favorite things is the leadership team that KBC has, and that is I get to work with four team leaders. You're one of those team leaders, and man, God's just given us a great favor, a great relationship together, and I'm grateful for you and the good work that you do. So I'm I know you pretty well, and I think a lot of our folks know you. But uh, hey, let me add this. If someone's listening and has a question that you want to ask Eric, anything in the world that you'd like for Eric to answer, by all means, send that in. And uh, you can put it on Facebook Live comments. If you know my number, shoot me a direct text. And if, if we can get to those questions, we will as well. But folks who may not know you, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I, uh, I'm actually a Louisville-born Boy, I mean, I grew up right here in Louisville, uh, have lived my entire life in Kentucky, uh, attended school here in Kentucky, went to Southern Seminary in Campbellsville. Uh, so I've never lived outside of the Bluegrass State. And, and I'm not sorry for that. I love, love Kentucky. I love the people of Kentucky. Um, I uh, have two adult daughters. Uh, my wife, Sherry, is a registered nurse. She teaches nursing in Shelby County, where we live, wow. and she's just a, a tremendous source of support for me, and I'll tell you, I couldn't have asked for a better helpmate. God really blessed me with her, and so I'm, I'm fortunate, Dr. Gray, to have Sherry as my wife. I'll tell you, I'm a blessed man. How long have y'all been married? We've been married 39 years. be 40 wow. years in January, yeah. Well, she must have, I mean, you were <laughs> very, very young. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, we married when we were 15, so <laughs> <laughs> had to get permission from the courts, well as from the parents. That's right. Uh, no, well, that's, we weren't. Hey, Eric, how old were you when you got saved? How did you end up coming to the Lord? Yeah, I, uh, man, my my testimony. I was nine years old when I came to know Christ, and and it's interesting. Uh, I told you I, I was born here in Louisville and raised here in Louisville. Um, my salvation experience is closely tied to that of my father's, and here's why. My father was an alcoholic. I have four brothers. And uh, so we, we lived in a home where there was a lot of dysfunction. Um, he did work. I, I still to this day look back and I don't know how a man who was an alcoholic and abusive verbally and physically could manage to hold down a job as he did. So he, he did provide for us. But I had watched him more times than I can remember go into detox centers because of his alcoholism. Wow. He always came home and was, you know, a different man for a day or two or a short period of time. But it then it all returned to the way he was before. Until one day, he was, uh, an ambulance had been called to our home. He was loaded in the ambulance all the way to the hospital. And my next door neighbor, Jim, climbed in the back of the ambulance with my father, wow. shared the gospel with him. And, and when my father came home from the hospital after that stay and, and drying out, Jim was our neighbor, and my dad had made a profession of faith and trusted in Christ as his Savior. And I watched a man who had many times before said his life was different, but returned to the old lifestyle. 
I watched a man who was a new man, a new creature in Christ. And even as a nine-year-old, it caught my attention because for the first time, he really was different. And so I had not been raised in the church, although we had attended church from time to time with a grandmother or with a neighbor or friend. But that really got my attention as a nine-year-old boy. And I thought, this, this is real. There's something about this Jesus. And so as we begin attending church as a family now, it was there that I encountered Christ and realized my need for him as Savior. Even though I wasn't an alcoholic, I was a sinner. Yeah. And I wanted Christ to, to make that difference in my life. And, and uh, there's so much I could say about my father going forward. He taught me so much about sharing the gospel with people. And he modeled what it, what it was like to be an evangelistic believer and member of a church, you know. Eric, how old was your dad when he received the Lord? Oh, my. You know, I don't know. I'm trying to think back. He he would have been um, probably close to 40 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one thing, um, I always feel like I I come into leadership, or this is called leadership lessons. I always feel like I come into it backwards and have, have always been trying to figure out leadership while leading, right? And one thing that I do know is that God uses everything to shape a leader's life. Yeah. And and one of the things that you do is that you've worked with organizations that are involved with with um, uh, addiction recovery, that sort of thing. And I didn't realize that was even part of your own your mm-hmm. own dad's uh, your own family's family story. Yeah, yeah, it is. And then not only my father, but I've had I've lost a, a nephew well, to heroin overdose. Uh, a niece who has struggled with addiction and is clean now for four years this week. Uh, so, you know, like many families, uh, Dr. Gray, our family's been touched by addiction and, and alcohol use. And when you see that up close, it gives you a heart to want to want to help other 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 people. And especially when you see your dad and the conversion that he experienced and the life change, you want to make sure that the help that folks are receiving has the gospel attached to it because that's where the real power comes from. Absolutely. And and that, you know, as you just said, the gospel has to be attached to it because as I said, sharing my story, um, just going through detox or, or drying out or, or going through some of those uh, step programs that are offered while they're good, they don't offer the hope that Jesus yeah. Christ does. And so that's why it's got to be a part of that. It has to be together. So Eric, you received the Lord when you were nine years old, and I'm sure you've you've been like all of us. You're, you've had peaks and valleys in your spiritual development. What's been one of the greatest seasons of spiritual growth for you? One time when you feel like that you really advanced in your relationship with the Lord? You know, the, as you said, there's been seasons, and there've been many times that I could that I could share about. But there's one in particular that comes to mind most often when I when I ask that type of question. And it was in uh, 2002, I believe, was the date. I uh, was struggling with with energy. I, I didn't feel well. Uh, just had a lot of issues going on. I wasn't sure about. So I went to a doctor. Uh, they did the heart test and discovered that I was uh, uh, my my blood levels were very very low. And uh, then they thought that I had cancer. So they put me in the hospital called the head of the Brown Cancer Center to the hospital on a Friday night about 10 o'clock. And so my family came in, my parents drove in, and uh, they they really thought that's what it was. And the tests were leading them to believe that. But during that time, it was interesting. God gave me such a a peace about where we were in that, in that situation. I, I, I mean, I wasn't wanting cancer. I obviously wasn't wanting to be sick or to even pass from something but God just spoke to my heart, and I thought, you know, whatever happens is going to happen because God ordained it, and he's allowed it to happen. Yeah. And I just want to be a witness through it. And and it's interesting. I, I didn't know at that time that it was obvious, but I had people tell me after that experience, something is different about you. I, I saw spiritual growth in you during that time, and I think that's probably why that particular circumstance comes to mind when you ask it, because it was during that time of, of uh, I guess a, f- a low time, you might say, that I reached out to God. I trusted in him. I had faith in him. But, you know, those are the times that I think we grow the most is in our low times. You know, I, I'll i be honest with you. I, I don't know others, but I don't grow as much in the times when I'm doing really, really well. 
It's when I'm reaching out to God and leaning on him and, and pressing into who he is that I really feel like I grow the most. And so that's probably the experience that I would say has that came to mind first when you asked that question. So Eric, if we were listing leadership lessons in this conversation, the first one would be God uses everything in your life to shape you as a leader. But but the second would be that God uses pain to shape shape leaders. There's a book over here to my right. I have several of them on a bookshelf, uh, a book by Sam Chan called Leadership Pain. Sam Chan is an author from the more charismatic side of the of the Christian family, but his his book talks about the role of pain. Uh, an author that you and I both know, Jeff Orge, has yeah. written a book called The Painful Side of Leadership. And to, man, to your, to your point, it's, it seems like uh, God gets our attention through pain and shapes us, shapes us through it. So let's talk about your role as a team leader for Missions Mobilization Team of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. How did you come to serve in that uh, in that role, and what does your team do? Yeah, I was serving a local church in Western Kentucky in Henderson, and uh, received a call asking if I would be interested in uh, talking to the leadership here at that time on the missions. Uh, and I think it's called Missions Growth Team, about leading uh, mobilization for Kentucky. And that would be to, to work with Mission Service Corps missionaries and our ministries across the state. And uh, I had an interest in that. I was very missions active. I loved working with volunteers and teams. And uh, so that was kind of my initial, um, I guess, conversation with the folks in the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And and then decided to pursue a position that they were uh, developing and was called to serve in that role as the mobilization coordinator for Kentucky Babies. That was in 2000. So it's been 21 years that I've been wow. with mentioned now. Yeah. <laughs> and so what today, Mission Mobilization in its current form, what what's the what's the mission of that team? What are you trying to accomplish? And what are what are some things sure. that you all do? Yeah, our, our mission really is we're, we're all about trying to help believers, obviously in the state of Kentucky, to engage our nation, uh, our world, and and particularly our state as well with the gospel of Christ. And uh, we do that by helping to challenge Kentucky Baptists to not only understand the Great Commission, but to embrace it and then participate in it, to get involved and to do mission work and to find out where they can plug in using their gifts and talents resources that God's entrusted to them to, to fulfill that, you know, to be a part of that. Okay. So, um, so often that involves mission trips, right? And lots of churches take mission trips. You've been on some mission trips. So uh, have you had some mission trip experiences that have been especially meaningful in your life? And can you tell us about one or two of those? Sure. Yeah, I, I've had the, the awesome privilege, and, and it is it is a privilege to be a part of, of mission that God's doing. That's the way I see it. Uh, I consider it a privilege because God chooses to use me and allows me to, to be a part of what he's doing. I would I would hope, my desire is that all believers would see it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, man, I am privileged that God's chosen to use me to go do this, to be a part of what he wants to accomplish. One of the, the mission experiences that I had that that is most meaningful, I guess, is I think back to the many places and types of different work that I've been engaged in was some work that Kentucky Baptists were doing in Suriname. Suriname is a small country in northern uh, South America. It is on the Amazon. It's it's heavily dense forest uh, villages of of really, it would remind you of Africa. And, and the work that we did there was a very difficult work. Uh, we had to fly into a very small field and then we had to load up all of our materials and get on canoes and we had to go up the river about an hour on water to get to where we were going uh we bathed in a river with snakes and piranha i'm done at that point i mean it's over oh i'm telling you it was and and the mosquitoes and uh just all kinds of things it was unbelievable we slept in hammocks with scorpions on the ground no kidding oh yeah but I'll tell you why it was so meaningful, not because it was probably the most challenging work that we've done physically, but it was so meaningful because of what we were doing. We were working with our IMB missionary personnel to build a training camp in the bush 
so that missionaries from IMB who were going anywhere in the world that would be a similar type of culture in terms of rough terrain and, and village work, they would bring them there to, to equip them, to prepare wow. them. We actually built a number of little one-room cabins. Uh, they had a, a light bulb on it. They had no, uh, there was no running water. They had a generator. And what would happen is then they would bring these missionaries in and they would stay for a week or two at a time learning how to, how to live in those primitive conditions. Interesting. And, and it was really exciting, you know, because we were there on the front end and, and a lot still needed to be done. I remember helping to wire uh, and do some wiring and get a generator set up. And we had people hanging some, some rough hewn siding. The siding was delivered on a canoe. I mean, the water just coming up to the edge and you know, on these, these boards that had been cut out of timber right there in the forest. But what was neat is a few years later, we saw in a missions magazine how that was being used oh. and how our missionaries were going in there. And they talked about the camp and the training experience and how helpful it was. And it just blessed my heart to know that Kentucky Baptist had had a part in that, you know. And Eric, I mean, you're you're describing the Southern Baptist ecosystem right there. That absolutely, you know, yeah. Folks in Kentucky that felt led to go and and build this thing. International missionaries are using it. Uh, churches from all over America are funding the work of those missionaries, and we we work work together. Hey, did you work at all with Calvin Wilkins? I did. Calvin was on staff, the missions growth team when I came to the convention, and I had the privilege of traveling some with Calvin, and I learned. I learned so much from that man. He he was an awesome man. So Calvin just passed re a few weeks yes. ago, and I went down to the viewing. I think you did as well for for his uh, his his funeral. And um, you know, there two or three preachers gathered the next day to preach his funeral. But I watched his funeral being preached right there in that visitation time. His children, their children. He's got a granddaughter, I think, who's a missionary, maybe in in Honduras or in the Dominican Republic, um, and other children involved in ministry and and family deacons in, in, in various churches. Do you have a favorite uh, memory about Calvin that you could, that you could share? Anything come to mind? Oh my, I'm trying to think back to all the experiences I had with Calvin. Where Calvin, are some places y'all went? Where did you go together? Well, the place that I remember most, we went to several places, Poland. He and I spent a lot of time together when we went to Poland. Kentucky Baptists were involved in a partnership in Poland at that time. And it had been going a number of years. And it was determined that it was probably time for us to, to back out of that partnership. They, they were strong and, and doing well there. And we felt like there were places that we could utilize Kentucky Baptist resources. And so I was a part of, of the team with Calvin to close out that partnership. And to hear him, I assumed it was off the cuff and by memory, he could just share about trip after trip that had been taken to Poland, rattling the names of people, you know, Polish names as well, off his tongue of, of pastors and people he'd worked with and things he'd seen God do. And I just remember the passion that you could see in this man as he spoke about the work that had been done by Kentucky Baptist in Poland. So it was a really exciting time. I learned a lot from him. Well, Eric, it's obvious just being around you and, and then listening to you now that you love you love what God's given you to do. You have a real passion for the work. One of the th one of the groups that you work with at Kentucky, uh, you work with local associations, Kentucky Baptist associations. There were 69 of those up until just uh, recently. Three have become one, so I think that would make it 67 that we work with now. What um, what what makes for a good association, a, a really healthy local Baptist association? Yeah. I, I, before I answer that, I would say that I think technically now, you know, we had 67. Yeah. We've had one dissolve. That's right. That makes it 66. And tomorrow, hey, it may be a different number, you know. That's right. It's exactly it's right. changing. It keeps, keeps um, changing. But, yeah. but it is true that some of the, some, the, the, the numbers get smaller, but some of the associations themselves are getting, are getting larger. That's right. And I think it's important to note that they're getting larger, uh, is just a sign, I think, in some ways they're getting healthier because we have to recognize why we had more than 70 at one time associations in Kentucky. It was because of, of travel. You needed to be able to get to where they were, and, and our roads have greatly improved over the years. Um, all the meetings were done in person. Today, we do a lot of meetings, a lot of trainings done online or through other means. 
And so all of that, I think, has contributed and allowed us, allowed them, I should say, the associations, to choose different ways to continue to work together. And, and we're seeing that as associations come together to merge or as some dissolve to be a part of, of the associations around them. So two or three traits of a healthy association. Yeah, uh, I would think, first of all, there needs to be a vision for reaching the lost. I think that's critical. Uh, we have to see the association as the missionary in that culture. My, my dream would be that every AMS would think of themselves as a missionary mm -hmm. with lost people all around. And how are we going to reach them? What are we going to do? And if I quick story would be one of our AMS uh, was talking with a group about going to South America to do work uh, in a Spanish speaking area. And he had been a missionary himself. And so they invited the AMS to come in and to speak. And he enlightened them about the culture and about the language and all of that. But then he said to them, as he finished his training in the local church for this group that's going to go to South America, he said, can I invite you to get in your church van and go with me? So they got in the church van and he took them just a short distance from the church to a large area of Hispanics, apartments and homes where Hispanics lived in their very community. And he said, I want to challenge you when you get back from this trip to engage the Hispanics in our own community. Because you know, it's easy, Dr. Gray, to, to get a vision for going on a mission trip. And we wanna go serve someone in another country or another state and actually neglect those, maybe not meaning to, but neglect those in our own community. Some of yeah. the same cultures or languages that we're ministering to elsewhere live right around us, you know? so. That's the kind of thing I think one of the healthy things is seeing uh, that as a mission field and that AMS seeing himself as a missionary. Uh, another would be, I think, a healthy association shows relevance to the churches. Yeah. Uh, you know, we live in a day and age where people are not loyal to a brand or to a convention or to an association just because as we used to be. And so I think more than ever, associations have to prove their value just as our convention does. And I think if we can prove our value to that local church, I think the local church is going to want to be a part of that association and, and to participate and, and to engage that community around them with the gospel. So those are a couple of things I think are yeah. really critical to healthy association. Those are super helpful. And, and Eric, one of the things we say a lot, you know, in, I mean, every in Southern Baptist life, everybody, everybody's autonomous. Every, every local church is autonomous. The association is autonomous, as well as state convention and national entities. And we each have our lane to run in. True. And one of the things that I notice about associations, and, and I, I know you do as well, is that there are things that a local association can do that we cannot do as a Kentucky Baptist Convention. There are things we can do that they can't do, and we're at our best when we're working well, working well together. So, so back on these mission trips, one of our viewers has asked, um, how, how can someone incorporate their family when they're thinking about a mission trip? So let me just ask the question as it is. I uh, would love to hear how Eric and Sherry work through the logistics of including their kids as they led others in mission trips. So any any thoughts there, if your own experience or what you've seen others do well in making sure that the kiddos are engaged? Yeah, I, I would say um, my children grew up doing missions. Yeah, they, they, they did. They, they knew what it was like to be engaged in meeting needs in our own community. We did that a lot. Uh, had a conversation yesterday with my youngest daughter about that very thing. And uh, we have pictures and, and they remember growing up doing mission work locally. They remember traveling to other states and we would not every time, but there were many times that we planned our vacation around a mission experience. I wanted my children to know what it was like to serve the Lord on mission, to go and, and to, to share the gospel, to give up our time, to do it as a family. And there are places uh, here in Kentucky and, and nationally, uh, especially where you can, you can find places that, that are well suited for a family to serve together, to go and to do ministry. I, I would love to see more of our churches uh, arranging trips where families may go together and mm -hmm. seeing a young person, uh, you know, paint or, or help a, a parent do some work. One of the funny stories that the people that were on this trip would tell you, they remember my, my youngest daughter, uh, Caitlin, whose husband is a pastor here in our state. 
they remember her painting and she had this little cat pulled down and she's painting a wall with a roller and she had paint on her hands and she just stopped and she asked one of the teenagers now my daughter was probably caitlin was probably elementary school age and she said to one of the girls on the trip who's a teenager would you, i've got a wedgie would you pull that out for me <laughs> <laughs> you know so so you know she was busy eric she was she on was, mission and she had something important to do and her hands were full of paint you know yeah. <laughs> understandable well <laughs> but no i i think there are many opportunities for families to be on mission together and uh i tell you what for your children to be raised up in that i think god works in them through those experiences and i'd love to see more of our pastors and families going together on mission that's awesome well it's got to be a great experience for for an entire family to get to do something like that together so hey we're in the christmas season right now one of the things that your team what works with is christmas backpacks um so tell us about like what's the christmas backpack story the goal the number that you perceive where they come from what are they gonna what are they gonna do sure we had a goal of ten thousand backpacks to be collected here in kentucky we have to date collected a little over 8,000, which is good. Uh, we have another 6,000 from outside the state that have come into Kentucky. Those 14,000 plus, almost 15,000 backpacks wow, have now been distributed. Uh, they have been, they were brought to associations. And by the way, this is, a, this is one of those examples where we could not have helped uh, our missionaries and church planters to have received these backpacks without local associations being involved as well. So I'm grateful to our AMSs and those leaders who helped promote it, uh, for those who said, bring them to our office or to this building. And then they were distributed, have, have, they've just been distributed. Last Friday was the final load that went to Cincinnati, to our, our Send city up there, where many of those church planters are gonna receive those backpacks. And in all of the cases, whether it be here in Kentucky, or in uh, Cincinnati, those backpacks carry some real practical things, you know, toys, and uh, they carry a gospel presentation, clothing, uh, some food items. Maybe, uh, maybe a little surprising that food is a big need. One out of five Kentucky children are food insecure. One out of five Kentucky children are food insecure, and food insecure means that they just don't have enough to eat, right? Well, and, and they don't know where their next meal maybe is going to come from. They may get something to eat, but they're not really certain that they have food in their home to eat, and they don't know that. There's just not food there. But the thing, I'm sorry. 20%, so 20 of every 100 children in Kentucky, that is their, yeah, that is their reality. Absolutely. And then what's going to happen now is all of those backpacks over the next couple of weeks are going to be given to families to children, and they're gonna receive that backpack and they're going to hear, and, and in many cases see, some kind of gospel presentation in addition to that gospel that is placed in the bag in a printed in a cartoon form. So, you know, that, that's, that's exciting. Because one of the things that's neat, Dr. Gray, is not only have we seen children come to know Christ because of the backpacks that Kentucky Baptist prepared, but we've seen families, we've seen parents, and grandparents come to know Christ. We've even seen, uh, there was one situation where an adult who came to unload the truck came to know Christ as Lord and Savior because of those Christmas backpacks. Eric, last year, I think it was last year, uh, one of our associations, Rockcastle Association, they couldn't give out their backpacks the way they had done it before using a local school, Randy McFerrin, the AMS there. And they used, this, they used the parking lot uh, uh, tell me what I'm trying to think about. Renfro Valley. Valley. Right. And so they had this parking lot thing set up, had a radio station broadcasting it for them. And uh, they invited me to come and preach the gospel. And then the folks went through in their cars and received their, their backpacks. Man, there were like 500 or 700 cars in that parking lot with people in there hearing the gospel. And in every car, there's at least two people. And in most of them, there were far more than two, several. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching on a microphone to this parking lot full of cars and just seeing full families sitting there in their in their in their car hearing the gospel. And we'd ask folks to like text in a certain number to indicate if they pray to receive the Lord. One of the pastors monitoring the text received a text that his granddaughter yeah. was one and an adult granddaughter was one who indicated that she had. That's just exciting stuff, man. And yes, it is. That, that is awesome. 
stuff that we get to experience and working together with yeah. these with these churches. Uh, something else that you're part of and your team is that you guys lead out for the state in disaster relief, Kentucky Baptist disaster relief. Tell us a little a little bit about your work with DR and how that impacts Kentucky and then beyond. Yeah, uh, man, I'll tell you, Kentucky is blessed with such great disaster relief volunteers. Yep. These are folks that have been trained and man, they are passionate about going out to meet the needs of people following a disaster. And then in the process, sharing the gospel, uh, you know, not just in a verbal witness, but by the way they treat people, by yeah. the way they serve people. And uh, our volunteers are busy cleaning up after floods. Uh, they're taking trees down that have been blown over by tornadoes. They're preparing thousands of meals a day when they're called out. Uh, they provide shower units that victims or emergency personnel can use to take a get a clean shower, maybe wash some clothes. And so all of these things are met by Kentucky Baptist disaster relief volunteers. And, 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 you know, Dr. Gray, one of the exciting things that I've come to understand about disaster relief work is we're not just ministering to the victims of, of the disasters. Um, many times we are also ministering to emergency personnel, uh, to people in agencies that are connected with the disaster, but may not be believers. So here, let, me sit, let me let me set this up for you. You haven't said that, so yeah. I didn't I didn't understand this about Kentucky Baptist Disaster Relief. But if I'm and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is the Red Cross provides the food. Kentucky Baptists cook the food, and we just say Amen to that. That's exactly as it ought to be. And when they do, they send over someone from the Red Cross to kind of oversee our handling of the food. And sometimes those those folks they send over, in fact, probably oftentimes they're not believers. Is that right? That is exactly right. We had a, a story in, in uh, Louisiana following Hurricane Katrina, I believe. And uh, one of the Red Cross workers, like you're describing, had been watching our folks. He was with them a lot. He would come and go. They uh, engaged him in conversation. They asked questions, got to know him. And he came to know Christ at the end of, of uh, that period of time that our volunteers were in and out. And here was a neat thing. He shared his testimony and here's what he said. He said, those people from Kentucky, they came to serve food. Well, no, no, they, they, they served food, but that's not really what they came to do. He said, they came to talk about Jesus. Wow. And, and, and that's what he said. Isn't that you know, great? Recognized, yeah, that they were there to serve food, but not, not really. They're really there to share Jesus. Eric, and that's so the Red Cross said, It's so important you said that because the, sometimes people mistake incarnational witness, meaning what we do in, in deed and, and with our hands, that, that that is enough without the verbal witness. But that's not the way it is with disaster relief. You've done an excellent job of leading your team to say, we're going to do the hands-on work, but we're also going to very clearly and verbally and intentionally share the gospel with those that, that we're around. That, is, is that correct? That is correct. Um, you know, if you see someone and, and you, you you serve them and you do all the right things, unless they know why you do those right things, they may never come to know Christ. And so giving a verbal witness is very, very important. Uh, one of the things that Kentucky Baptist DR has done is to ensure that we have chaplains on every call out. Chaplains whose primary purpose is to share the gospel. Dr. Gray, I don't know about you. I, I am a very task-oriented person. Mm -hmm. So you send me on a disaster relief team and tell me to clean this house out because of the flood. I'm, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I may, you know, I may share the gospel, hopefully. But if I'm task oriented, I'm down. I got my face down in that mud and I'm busy. Right. And I may fail. I may miss somebody. Yep. That chaplain's role is to share the gospel. And so we have seen the number of decisions increase when we started putting in an emphasis on chaplains who primary role was to share the gospel. And Eric, we actually have, science. we have DR chaplain training coming up, if I'm not mistaken. And, and so um, any dates, if you remember, fine, it's okay if not, but how can folks find out about disaster relief training and learning to be equipped to be a, to, to do that chaplaincy work? Yeah. Um, most all of our DR trainings offer chaplaincy training as a part of that training. And if they were to go to our website, which is kybaptist.org slash dr, very simple, slash dr, and they will find a list of all the training events, uh, and it will give the outline in terms of what's being covered, how to register, 
and they can receive chaplaincy training information and uh, be a part of that. We'd love to see that happen. Well, great work with DR and and man, our our disaster relief volunteers, they are passionate and yeah. they're they're just the best. I mean, they they'll go anywhere anytime to go help somebody in need and in doing so, they're going to share the gospel. Amen. As well, uh, something that many Kentucky Baptists probably don't realize is that we have dozens of Kentucky Baptist missionaries, Mission Service Corps missionaries. They serve all around the state in all different kinds of capacities. And your team also works with those missionaries. So tell us a little bit about the variety of who qualifies as a missionary in Kentucky. Where do they get their funding? What kind of things are they doing? Just tell us a little bit about, about these missionaries. Sure. Um, we call them Mission Service Corps missionaries. And uh, they are individuals that, first of all, most importantly, feel called to missions. Uh, God has a calling on their life. They have been endorsed by their local church pastor. They go through a, a check where a background check. Uh, we talk about their spiritual journey. And uh, then when they are approved, they are then commissioned by their local church and by our state uh, at the WMU annual meeting. And those missionaries, some 111 it fluctuates from time to time, but I believe there's 111 currently. They serve in a variety of ministry places. Some of them are serving in ministry centers, meeting physical needs like hunger and clothing and uh, financial assistance. Uh, others are working with refugees or internationals who are, are forced and displaced here in Kentucky. Some are working in jails and prisons. Some are doing after-school ministries with children. Some are working in pregnancy care centers. So it's it's a variety of ministries, but all of them, each of them, has been called, endorsed by their church, commissioned and approved to serve in that role as a missionary. They have to serve 20 hours a week on average. That there, So there's a time expectation. Uh, they're, they're fully committed to this work. But it's, it's exciting to see the volunteers serving in all these different roles. And I say volunteers, that's not actually correct. We call them self-funded mm -hmm. because some of them do receive some, some financial assistance for that ministry, or some of them may raise support that enables them to serve. Some are retired. Some have a spouse that provides income that allows them to serve in that role. So it's, it's a real mixture of uh, ways that, that that person is there serving that enable that person to serve. And Eric, how do, how do, so how does KBC serve these missionaries? We know who they are. You work with them directly. How do, how do we serve them? Yeah, we serve them um, in a couple of ways. One is prayer support. We have something called intercede, which is a way that churches or individuals or small groups can see who those missionaries are, pray for them regularly on their birthdays or at other times. Uh, that calendar is on our website. They can adopt a missionary. Uh, these missionaries um, would love to see churches adopt them, and that would look like this. That would be inviting them to come speak. Mm -hmm. It would be sending teams to serve alongside them in their ministry. It would be definitely praying for them. It would be resourcing their ministry with items or materials that they need to do the work. It would be rem uh, remembering them on a, on a birthday or a special occasion with a gift card or, or just a, a surprise you know, package or something like that. Uh, so they could adopt a missionary. They can pray for missionaries. Uh, churches can obviously volunteer to go serve alongside. Even if you didn't adopt, you may have a team that a uh, short-term team that says, hey, we want to go serve, work with them for a weekend or, or for a week. And I will say, going back to the thing we talked about earlier, family missions, several of our Kentucky MSC missionaries are in ministries that lend themselves to a family coming and serving alongside in that work for a weekend or a, a week or whatever that might look like. Yes, I mean, it's exciting to think that there are 111 Kentucky Baptist missionaries serving in Kentucky, uh, self-funded by their work. They're gaining support Absolutely. from you in lots of ways and from, from your team. Eric, any of them that come to name, come to come to, come to mind by name that you could mention that's do, that are doing something unique. Any of our missionaries that you, I mean, you can't highlight 111, yeah. but are there any of them that we, some, some of us may know? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you one that comes to mind uh, just, I guess, quickly is, is John Morris. John Morris serves in a ministry called GAP, which is an acronym for uh, God's Appalachian Partnership. John's been in that role for a number of years. 
and that ministry uh, is, is reaching Floyd County. And I'm trying to remember what percentage of Floyd County lives in poverty. It's, it's a large number and I, I'm afraid to give it or I'll give it wrong. But they do a number of creative ways uh, to share the gospel. They do some of your typical things like um, food and clothing distribution, but they also do things like money management courses where they teach families how to, to make it and, and to buy groceries and to survive on a limited budget. Uh, they've actually had teams come from uh, some of our culinary arts schools to come down and teach people how to prepare good meals on a limited budget, give them recipe ideas. They've done some creative things like that. Uh, I remember one story that John shared about a lady who came to an event they had. I think her name was Gwen, and they were doing a community festival where they were trying to do a lot of different kinds of things to meet the needs. One of those was cutting hair. Uh, you know, when, when a person is living uh, on a very meager, small amount and not able to do much, they may forego getting their hair cut. Right. And a lady came who had not had her hair cut in, in years, I'm told. She got her hair cut. And as she left, she was just taken back by how beautiful she felt. She said, look at this. And she was all excited. And, and John just said to her, Gwen said, you are beautiful. And she started crying and she thanked him for the haircut. And he said, no. No, you're beautiful, Gwen, because you are created in the image of God and God loves you and you were made after his image. And he had an opportunity to share the gospel with Gwen and she came to know Christ because yeah. somebody cut her hair. Yeah. You know, so that, that's the kind of thing that, that John's doing down there. I could share a lot of other examples that, that they're doing there and in other places. But our missionaries are creatively sharing the gospel. With the community part added and and uh one of the you, you guys do this annual retreat every year for mission service corps missionaries and you pour back into them because they're they're just all the time pouring into other people eric you mentioned refugee ministry so folks probably most folks wouldn't have any idea the number of refugees in the other countries that are represented in kentucky and i want us to talk a minute about what your team does with with afghan refugees currently but any anything about the numbers of refugees in Kentucky that you could share that would be maybe interesting and helpful to to folks? Sure, absolutely. Uh, Kentucky is home to a number of refugees, and I think that may be a surprise to many Kentucky Baptists. Yeah, uh, Louisville obviously is our largest city, but there are a hundred and nine languages spoken in the Jefferson County school system. One hundred and nine languages in the Jefferson County school system, Louisville, Kentucky. That's right. And, yeah. and, and Lexington and Bowling Green and Paducah, I, I don't know what those numbers are right off, but I know that there are many languages spoken. Um, one interesting statistic before I speak about the Afghan refugees, Bowling Green is home to the largest population of Bosnians east of the Mississippi River. Now think about that just a moment. The cities in New England, we're talking Atlanta, New York City, we're talking large cities, and Bowling Green has more Bosnians than any other city east of the Mississippi River. That's incredible. It is. It is incredible. And we're, we're, we, there are churches, Kentucky Baptist churches, meeting and, and sharing the gospel with those Bosnians in Bowling Green. That's exciting. Yeah. So tell us about uh, the work with Afghan refugees and how that's being developed and how it's building in, in multiple locations. And Owensboro is another one of those cities that Kentucky Baptist uh, really impacting refugee uh, communities with the gospel. But what about Afghan refugees right yeah. here? Yeah, you know, because of the recent Afghan crisis, we do have a number of, of Afghan refugees. I, I'm not sure the exact number. I know Kentucky is going to be receiving somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 400. And then uh, uh, Bowling Green and Lexington and Owensboro are each also receiving Afghan refugees. And, and I'm so proud of the way that our churches have stepped up to meet those needs. Uh, John Barnett is, is heading up that, that ministry, and he was just sharing with me earlier today that uh, we have 14 Kentucky Baptist churches in Louisville alone yeah. that are working together, cooperating together to meet the needs of those Afghan refugees. Now, here's what that looks like. That means helping provide transportation, helping them kind of get settled into an apartment, helping them with food. Uh, already, I mean, in just a few weeks, we've got some Afghans who have said, I want to come to church. I want to come to your church. And they have gone to our churches and participated in, in uh, services. 
and and these are these are people who have grown up in a Muslim culture and are Muslim, and so for them to even be open to to attending a Christian church is huge, yeah. but it's happened because John has helped equip Kentucky Baptist churches in knowing how to do that, how to understand their culture, how to reach out to them, how to share the love of Jesus, and and I'm excited about the stories we're going to hear in the weeks and months to come because of our churches serving and loving on Afghan refugees. Well, and Eric, so, I mean, if, you, if someone wants to see a picture of a cooperative program ministry at work, 2,360 churches funding ministry through the cooperative program, a small portion of what they're funding is one of your team members, John Barnett. They they pay his salary and his expenses, his travel, et cetera. And John then is working with, with churches to organize them to work together with refugees, 14 churches right here in Louisville that are working with, I think I heard him say about 120 or 140 refugees and had a big dinner for him recently. Several of those have expressed interest in the gospel. Some of them are already believers. So there's going to eventually probably going to be an Afghan church that right. will be targeting these refugee folks that we're already meeting. And man, that's, that is absolutely, but what he shared with me that was most encouraging is that for many of these 400 refugees in Kentucky, the very first people that they are meeting and building a relationship with are Kentucky Baptists. Right. Followers of Jesus Christ who are part of the Kentucky Baptist Church. That's amazing absolutely. that where they've come from, that the people who are greeting them and showing them first high-level love and kindness and compassion are members of Kentucky Baptist Churches. That, that's just that's the nature of our work together, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and you can only imagine, I, I can't really imagine, but I guess we could try to imagine what it's like to be forced out of your home, out of your country, to end up in a strange place, what that must feel like. Yeah. But to then have someone reach out to you to help you with transportation and basic needs and then love on you and just listen to you and share with you and be there. Man, I'm going to want to know about this person and, and why they want to do, you know, why do they want to help me? And yeah. so that, that's what's happening. You know, God's opening doors through our Kentucky Baptist churches are serving these people. Other services that you all provide, you you do vision tours where you take leaders to go into Cincinnati or Chicago or Salt Lake City to learn about church planting in those areas, but you also take overseas trips. Um, your team has, has recently or has frequently led out in a, uh, a trip to Zimbabwe, I think, introducing some folks firsthand to, in many cases, their first international mission trip and letting them experience that so they can see our, our CP dollars at, uh, at work. But you also provide training for churches who want to take uh, international mission mission trips. Hey, Eric, uh, to me, man, it always makes sense that, that boy, if we're going to do mission trips, we ought to at least consider doing those inside the family, that we're trying to take mission trips where our IMB workers are already serving or our NAM church planters somewhere in North America. Do you guys try to connect churches with, with our IMB missionaries at, at, at first before they do anything else? Absolutely. Man, I'll tell you, I, um, I can't tell you the number of times we've received calls from folks who, who were not doing that and they'd run into problems that probably would have been avoided had they been working with IMB personnel. Because if you're working with IMB personnel, you can first of all assure that they're, they're, they're safe and okay to work with. Yeah. Theologically, they believe like we do. Right. They understand who we are. And and as you've already said, we're we're funding their salary, paying their salary. So why would we not want to come alongside them and to serve with them and to help them in the work that we're already have a part in? Uh, you know, so I, I would strongly encourage um, our Kentucky Baptist churches as they seek mission opportunities and partnership opportunities to look at those that we already have some connections with, those who are IMB personnel or North American Mission Board personnel, and come there alongside are, them. There are places where that's not really an option. IMB is pulled out of lots of lots of countries because sure. it reached a level of not being an unreached people group anymore. Uh, one thing I've heard, I've seen in in recent years, the, the many churches have stopped what was, it's kind of a pejorative term, a, like a one and done trip. Many churches have decided to invest multiple years in a, in a particular location and even plant churches and see ongoing work. Have you, are you seeing that happen more often with churches and their mission work? 
We are, and Dr. I think that is probably the best way to do mission work is not a one and done. You know, it might work for Cal and UK, but it, it, I don't think it works for KBC and, and mission work because when, when you do a partnership, you're investing for a period of time. And and I think it's it's great because you get to see the fruit of your labor over a period of time as you've worked with that missionary. And, and, you know, some of our missionaries are in places and the type of ministries they're doing where it's difficult for them to host a very large group. So if you've got a church wanting to involve, let's say, 30 individuals in an international trip, that's that can be tough to pull off. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're doing a one and done, that might be your only choice. But if you're working with an IMB missionary, why not send 10 people at three different times through the year? and have a relationship with that missionary. And then it's gonna be really, it's gonna be easy for him to jump on a, a Zoom screen and to, to come into your service to share what God's doing because so many of your folks have been working with him over a period of time or, or him and her. And so I think partnership, long-term partnerships are much more vital to not only the work that's being done, but I think even to the church, I really do. I think for them to be plugged in over a period of time is there's greater benefit. Eric, while you're speaking, I'm thinking about um, uh, Caldwell Line Association, Rick Reader. They've had an ongoing partnership with, uh, is it Zateca, a city? Zacateca. Zacateca, Mexico. And man, they've, they've taken multiple, many years, they've been going back, they've knocked on, I think they've knocked on every door uh, 160,000. I mean, I, I don't know what the number is, but it's a huge number. But they've also seen several churches planted. They've gone back now and trained local pastors year after year after year. They do it a pastor school, and they've seen long-lasting fruit come out of that. Come out of that in, that investing. So, if somebody wants to know more about how to do mission mission work at that level, where they could be at least promoting long-term lasting fruit, how would they get a hold of you or someone on mission mobilization team? I would suggest that they get a hold of, uh, they could definitely call our office, but if they'll go to the KY Baptist website, uh, go to the missions mobilization team page, we have two mission strategists on our staff. Doug Williams serves the eastern part of the state, and John Barnett that we've mentioned earlier serves the western part of the state. Both of these men are equipped and ready to help a church assess where they are when it comes to missions and then help them look at opportunities where they could serve internationally. Uh, they'll help the church prepare for that. Uh, they'll, they'll help them understand the value of a long-term partnership versus a one-time, one-and-done kind of trip, too. One more thing that your team does is that you work with a group in Kentucky that these these organizations, I think they're called Pregnancy Resource Centers now. They may have had other names in the in the past. How many pregnancy resource centers are there in Kentucky and what which, how does your team relate to the executives of those organizations? Sure. I'm not sure exactly how many are in Kentucky, but I do know that Kentucky Baptists relate to about 52 yeah. of those pregnancy care centers. Uh, and and the criteria is that if that is a gospel-focused pregnancy care center and they work with Kentucky Baptist churches and or associations, then we'd, we'd love to partner with them. And uh, what that looks like is we, we encourage our churches to find ways that they can come alongside that pregnancy care center and support that, that ministry, uh, uh, help do counseling, provide resources, uh, provide dollars that are needed to help keep that ministry going. But uh, th- those ministry centers, each of those directors we relate to, uh, we have in the past, haven't for several years now, but we were doing annual luncheons where we bring those directors together and we would provide uh, resources and equipping during that time. They would obviously experience some networking with other pregnancy care centers that they found of benefit to their ministry as well. And Eric, it's incredible ministry. So sometimes the pro-life movement is accused of only caring about the unborn child. And some some folks will, will use pejorative language that you only care about babies before they're born. You don't care about them after they're born. Boy, that's just not true in, in Christian life, evangelical life in general. And it's certainly not true in Kentucky Baptist life. Those, those, uh, those PRCs, they do incredible work to help families long, 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 long term work through the difficulties of an unplanned pregnancy and parenting 
tips, learning, relationships, just sticking with them and walking with them. So this uh, this Friends of Life celebration, September 2022, we are targeting two groups of people to attend. We are inviting the executives or any of their team from the Pregnancy Resource Centers, 52 that we work with in Kentucky. And we're also inviting pastors and their spouses. We hope to see about, about 300 people in attendance. Dr. Moeller will be a keynote speaker. Scott Klusendorf will be another one. Angela Mentor, who uh, literally rocked the house at the annual meeting in Elizabethtown this year, will be there sharing more, more of her story and a lot more going on than, than that. So we sure encourage folks to look this up on the website. Keep it in mind. Eric, your team is part of a big event that's coming up in March. I think it's March of next year. Is that right? Um, Are you reach. talking about reach? Yes, sir. Yeah. Amen. Tell us about it. What, what, why should, why should uh, pastors and staff and, 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 and church members attend reach in 2022? And what is it? It is March 14 and 15. Okay. It is Severns Valley in Elizabethtown. And I would, I would help. I guess the thing I would want people to know most, Dr. Gray, is this. Reach is an evangelism and missions conference. And it's much more than just, it, it's for much more than just pastors and preachers. Yeah, it, it is for the leaders in our churches to come and to learn how to be more effective evangelists, to learn how to, to uh, be a better missionary in their local community or beyond. And so there's some great nationally known speakers that we'll be sharing. There are some very practical breakouts, a number of breakouts and then new this year, we've got 40 right now. I think there's 40 exhibitors from all types of evangelistic and missional organizations and agencies offering resources and help to the churches of Kentucky Baptist. So I'm hoping and I'll tell you some exciting things we're hearing. We're hearing of several churches that are bringing their staff. Yeah, uh, they're bringing their staff in. They're going to do a retreat and they're going to be a part of this experience. Others are paying and, and want their church leadership to be a part of it. Uh, it's going to be a great experience. I really believe it's going to be one of the highlights on the KBC calendar in 2022. I really do. Eric, it, I mean, it, it, if lots of pastors could go read their church constitution and bylaws and would probably discover that their church will pay for them to go to the the, the KBC Evangelism Conference and the KBC Annual Meeting. And churches that I pastored, it was just, it, it was in their bylaws that they, it was such a valuable investment in the life of their leadership. And man, if, if a church, if a pastor can grab three or four or five, six members of their church, eight or 10, and just go together, they're gonna have an incredible time. And that pastor, reach could be for them a catalytic event to help them give the kind of leadership that they want to give in their church, but it could be inspired by their members hearing from, from some other folks who are seeing some good things happen. So what what's going on in your life or ministry right now that you're probably most excited about besides having some time off around Christmas time? You've got to be excited about that. Uh, what, what, what are you most excited about right now? What in your ministry is is making you get up every day and say, man, I can't wait to see this happen, or I want to see more of this happen? You know, what excites me most is when people figure out that God has some place for them to be in ministry that fits who they are. That to me is exciting. In the local church, I loved it when I could help someone get plugged into something and then to watch them kind of blossom. I mean, it was like they come alive. And I think the same thing is true in any kind of mission work people do. If they will find out where they fit, how has God gifted them? What's their passion? What are their experiences? And realize that God's already got a place for you to serve where you're going to get to live that out. And he's going to so bless the process. You're, you're in the perfect role for, then for that, for that kind of passion. Two quick final questions. Uh, how old, first one, how old were you and where were you when you had that discovery yourself? When you discovered God had a plan and purpose for your life and that you wanted to plug into it? Yeah, I was 16 years old. I was involved in a youth ministry in the church that I grew up in here in Louisville, and my youth pastor challenged us to, to be on mission. He challenged us, what is God going to do with your life? And I remember him asking that. And then I remember responding and saying, I believe God's calling me to ministry. Now, at that time, I, I didn't know what that looked like. Yeah. I thought maybe I was going to be a preacher. I wasn't sure. I had no idea he would call me into serving in youth ministry and music ministry and working you know, at the convention and missions. But I knew at 16, there was no doubt in my mind that God had called me into ministry. And so I began to live my life in preparation for what God was going to do. I knew that I needed to get prepared. So I went to Campbellsville. 
on to Southern. And, and that's what God did in my life as a 16 year old. Second question, final question in, in the last few seconds we have. Uh, if it's appropriate to share a name, can you name one person that you've seen that same thing happen in their life and that you were around when you watched what, what God was getting a hold of them to do? Absolutely. Yeah, there's several. As I think back to young people that I had the opportunity to influence, it's exciting to watch. One comes to mind is a young man named Ben. Ben played guitar in our church. And he, he was a rocker, you know, garage band kind of guy, very talented, very talented. And his mother came to me and she said, I'm concerned about Ben, the music he's listening to and what he's doing. Would you talk with him? I got, I enlisted Ben to start playing in nursing homes with a couple of older guys like wow. us. He started playing guitar, playing old hymns and music. And Ben went on to be, we called him Ben Curtis Chapman after Stephen Curtis Chapman, because he could play guitar so well. And Ben today plays guitar in church and is ministering using music. He actually recently was playing at Porter Memorial uh, in Lexington, was their guitar player. But yeah. he he had he was starting in the wrong direction, and I enlisted him to play in nursing home. He would call that his gig. Ben would say, do we have another gig on Sunday afternoon? I love it. And, and Ben was able to use that talent and that gift to serve the Lord and still does today. So. Eric, I'm grateful for you and grateful to the Lord allows us to serve together with uh, with KBC. Man, we, we we love serving churches. Our mission is by churches, for churches, to help churches. I want to pray for you before we, before we cut loose and pray for Kentucky Baptist. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for Eric and thank you for your calling on his life. 16 years old, you got his attention and whatever age he has now that you're still using him and leading him. Uh, Lord, Eric and I pray together for Folks all over Kentucky, dear Lord, that you touch the lives of many in the exact same way that that his life has been touched. I know my life has been touched where you've called us. Uh, you've already saved us, but you've called us into a specific ministry leadership assignment. We pray all over the state that that would happen. We pray together for our churches, the Kentucky Baptist churches, your churches, that every one of them would be missional and on mission. And we pray for every single Kentucky Baptist church that their best days of ministry would be out in front of them and not behind them. We pray this for the glory of Christ our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank Eric, you. thank you, brother. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the cooperative program. For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.